And we're back on the Media Virus Podcast. We're in the B Block, and we're going to have our interview. We're going to talk to Mark Went, the wisdom coach. In the podcast production system, there are two separate but equally important groups, the guests who think they have something to say and the hosts who completely exploit them. These are their stories. We're back in the B Block, the Media Virus Podcast. We're talking with Mark Went, Wisdom Coach. Mark, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, uh, and people can find you at markwentcoaching.com. Well, tell, tell, us, tell us all about that, if you don't mind. So I coach men to create better relationships and better results in their work. And that basically works through this idea of communication skills but then connecting to what it is they want and being more brave, courageous, and capable of producing the kind of results that they want. So with regards to women in their life, I teach them the language of emotional intelligence, and I help them get a better handle on how to speak to women from that place that all the women crave without losing their masculinity, without losing that core essence of potency, strength, power, productivity, all those things that we love about men but adding that new component that's like part of the modern society of a man who's emotionally intelligent. Now that translates also really well into strangely into the business world, because when you're able to communicate more effectively, you can create the kind of buy-in that drives results with your employees. So it's one thing to say, I'm going to whack you if you screw up and you're, you're out of here, you're fired. You got people cowering and trying to do good. But when you get people to be invested in your why by creating an emotional resonance with them, now they're in on the game. Now they're going to follow you off the cliff to, to kill the bad guys. Yes. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so <clears throat> when you talk about emotional intelligence, um, I'm trying to phrase the question correctly. Like, <clears throat> How does that, what is emotion when you, you know, knowing how you feel and knowing, you know, whether or not like being able to step out of your emotions and analyze a situation, um, you know, logically, that's what, that's how I kind of, you know, knowing that you are angry, that's not necessarily somebody else's fault. How do you, is there a definition besides just, you know, Well, I'll give you mine. I don't know if there's a universal. There probably is. And so I'm probably going to screw this up. But I know that what works for me and what works for my clients isn't necessarily stepping outside and then having an intellectual approach. It's actually learning to deal with the way the body responds to triggers, the way the body responds to anger, sadness, fear, you know, sexual energy, being able to actually use that energy in an intelligent way. Because emotions literally are energy in the body. 
And so one of the things I teach my clients or that we work on is to be able to feel what we feel, the sensations we feel, and then search for clues around what the emotional content is that goes with that. And so once you get able to identify that really good in real time, like a good comedian or whatever, now you have command over a whole other layer of communication. And you can utilize that in in whatever arena you're in. The thing about the professional arena is, you know, I teach something called professional intimacy, which is like you you develop this emotional connection, but there's limits around it, of course, because you don't want all the depth and all the passion and all the sexual energy in the professional arena. But in your relationship, you want to have all that. So when you learn it, you can use it in both arenas, but you have to calibrate it a little better in the professional arena. What it, you know, if you pissed me off, for instance, Maddie, the thing I would say to you instead of yelling back at you is I'd say, right now I'm feeling kind of pissed. And then I would tell you why. And I would have my emotions not shoved down or constricted and controlled. I'd actually be feeling them. I'd know what they are really quickly. And I'd be able to say to you, you know, right now I'm feeling really pissed and this is why. Without bottling anything up, without exploding, right? Because that's hey, super so ha- That's a good question then, because uh, it seems to be one I have a real hard time with. How do you not explode? Like, how does that... How, how does that work? How does I that know work? that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, so how how it works is you practice, right? You practice certain techniques and and you train your nervous system to actually be in a state of flexibility of 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 the ability of resilience and and flexibility instead of right at this constant edge where if anything happens then the top of the volcano is going to go off. So on one level it's learning not to build up that that level of pressure and hold and have it be sitting there ready to go off. Right. But the thing is we don't teach men this stuff. We don't teach it. It's so it, it's an alien experience for most people. And it takes a while to learn how to feel and what that like mechanically that starts with actually breathing in to your belly and being consciously aware of what it feels like to be in our bodies and we are chasing alcohol, we are chasing sex, we're chasing weed, you know, TV, all so that we don't have to feel the sensations because those sensations can be very high. You know, the opposite end of the spectrum is, you know, Red Bull athletics. It's like, that's where we're going for our sensations. We're, we want all that adrenaline or with, you know, with porn, we want all that sensation. But the uncomfortable ones like jealousy, like feeling shame and inadequacy in the face of who you're working with or what you're dealing with. Those things we don't know how to handle because we don't train men to do that. And so that's- I feel like I've handled it. I feel like, I feel like my shame and my inadequacy, I'm really, I've become accustomed to it. You ride it really. I mean, (laughs) you ride it. I I really do thrive in it. See, you're probably way more emotionally intelligent than you give yourself credit for. I do. I I am actually. I, (laughs) I, um, you know, I, I don't want to be anymore. I'm tired of it. I want to go back to the way I was where I was just, no, I'm joking, but I've done a lot of work on myself. And, and part of it is identifying, you know, I, I snapped, I, I had a little bit of a temper tantrum the other day and, uh, you know, I, I, I scared my wife and that, and I was like, oh, you know, it was one of those things. 
And it's one of those things where I was coming up with laundry and I tripped, I fucking stepped on a, like a dog toy, like a hard round dog toy and twisted my ankle. Yeah. And I lost my shit at the dog toy. I picked it up. I was like, I don't want this fucking thing. The dog doesn't even fucking play with it. I threw it in the trash. And then I turned around and I, I really scared the shit out of my wife. And I was, I, I, you know, the, the shame and everything. And I, you know, I just, it's one of those things where that kind of reared its ugly, ugly head after, you know, such a long time of trying to be docile, but I'm also trying to be like, not aggressive. Aggressive is a heart, not enthusiastic about mm. life. Yeah. And that's new for me being enthusiastic about life. You know what I mean? Approaching life with, with trying to get that energy and with that energy, you know, with doing things, you get more energy and with more energy, you know, with more energy, you can do more things. And with doing more things, you get more energy and with doing, we're getting more energy, you do more things. And, and it goes like that. And then, you know, I get to that point where now I'm, the enthusiasm turns to aggression and I haven't realized why. Like, I just, I haven't identified what, so am I making any sense or am I just like, yeah, I'm getting it. And if you were my client, we would take some time to answer that question, why that, that aggression is so present for you. But I'll just give you, without making it about you so much, I'll just give you a baseline. There is this developmental stage that happens with people, and in particular, we're going to talk about men, where by the time you're seven, a lot of the way your nervous system is, has been wired by the experiences you have. So if there's any trauma in there, then you're carrying that with you at a subconscious level. And the tools to resolve that, the way that stuff comes up, aren't taught. So you don't get effective at expressing the way those things happen for you. And the, the, the emotional currents are usually about abandonment or a, um, about loss, fear. And so what's happening is that little seven-year-old is still inside you. And whatever happened to him comes up uh, over stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be that explosive. And so we would start to work with, well, what happened? What, do you, what are you aware of? And then we'd start to have tools for how you would communicate things in real time, all day long, every day with whomever you're with, so that, that those off gases don't build up. And we, are, we do a really bad job of helping men have the space to be emotionally present because we have all these labels about weakness about it. But the truth is, if you study the Stoics, you find out that they're actually very emotionally present and that the Stoicism that we equate, which is really just extreme concentration and the ability not to be fucked with, is comes from having emptied out all of that stress. Because if you're on the battlefield and someone can push your button and make you angry, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Right? That's part of why when guys go to box, they try to do that thing at weigh-in when they fuck with people's heads. Right? So it's really, how do you learn to manage your nervous system? Well, it's physiological. That's the first thing. It's not your brain. And a lot of us try to think our way out of emotional issues. But what's really going on is that there's a whole hormone system and there's all these different places. Like, what do you say when you're angry? Well, it's tightness in your jaw. Right? Right? So you learn to identify oh, I'm pissed. My jaw's tight, right? And well, what do I need about that? Can I take care of that myself by just like going for a run? Or is there something that someone did that I need to have a conversation with about them or or with them about? And, you know, what do I say to them? How do I negotiate well 
to have that resolution take place. And that's where the communication skills come in. And then the next layer, once you've practiced that and you can feel your own body and you can feel the emotions rise up and you can identify them in real time, then you can start to have empathy, especially with your woman. And when she can feel you feeling her, she feels safe. And that safety factor, the higher her sense of safety, the more turned on she is, the more lovey-dovey she is, the more she's going to cook you that awesome ribs that you like. Because her nervous system can relax and calm down because she, her nervous system is wired to feel everything. Like, have you ever tried to sneak something by your wife and they just know it, right? My, my current wife, I could, I could literally, I could probably hide a hooker right behind me and walk past her. Um, but my, my ex-wife noticed every little fucking thing I ever brought into the house. And so I, I know exactly, uh, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and I'm kind of, and especially because there's this thing that happens to women, especially after they've given birth where they're, you know, that the, the old person that you married dies and this new person is, is there and their nervous system is, is wired completely differently than the person that you knocked up. And, you know, thou every little thing, things that, I wouldn't even think about. She's pointing out to me, you know, and so on and so forth. So I definitely, you know, I do get, I just wanted to make the joke that I could sneak a hooker past my wife. Um, If she she wasn't wearing her contacts, I could probably pull it off. The problem is, would they end up together and you'd be standing there watching them? That would be the problem. That's probably, that's why I brought her home, dude. You know what I mean? You can find me under cuckold. No. Um, <laughs> Where were we? Oh, yeah. So, we're having fun. Yeah. Um, Wisdom coach. <laughs> Mark went. Also, uh, Mark, it, there's one of your questions here in the, you know, in the, your little uh, bio here. It says, did you really appear as a Jedi extra in Star Wars Attack of the Clones? Yes, that is true. That is a I fact. did it. I did a deep dive and found you on Wikipedia. Yes, sir. You did. You're, you're also a, a songwriter. You're a, a, a scorist. How do you say that? What is that? Is that a score a music score writer? I'm a, no, I, no, no, that's okay. not right. But no, I am I'm, a screen, a screenplay writer. Oh, well, maybe I fucked up. I'm sorry. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time. No, not at all. <laughs> the first time today. Um, so, it, and it says that you were an archivist. Lucas, did I say that right? Yes, sir. Okay. How do you land a job being an archivist for Lucasfilms? So I just want a presence that um, I have to be really careful because I'm under an NDA about talking about much there. Oh, well, then fuck it. Never mind. No, what I can tell you (laughs) is that I worked for, I worked for this guy over here, Bill Graham, Bill Graham Presents, as an, an archivist intern for two years. And the skills I learned there was what made it possible for um, me to serve Lucasfilm for 21 years. That's awesome. But I also learned a lot about production, a lot about, um, you know, I did, one of the things I had to do there was reproduce the 60s light shows. Because we, I, the project I worked on was reopening the Fillmore Auditorium. Oh, wow. And so when we reopened it, one of the things I had, they said to me, it was like, okay, they said it to the crew, actually, because I was part of a team. We want you to go out and like learn how to make those oil and light show things again because we want to open the 
the, the film more and have that available. And it was back then there was no digital projection. It was all 35 millimeter slides and overhead projectors. And um, so I, I learned how to manage that. And then I also worked with a club GJ who was my uncle and we had screens and dancers and we were chroma keying them in to the show. And so I had a lot of, you know, projection and event, live event production experience. And then that turned into me being an archivist and an event producer at Lucasfilm for the corporate events we did. Nice. Um, basically what happened with the Jedi thing was George shot what he shot on the set. And then when he was looking at it in editing, it was like, oh, I need a lot more Jedi in this arena. And so the call went out internally for people with martial arts skills and so I said, I answered it and said, well, I was on the fencing team in high school. Would that count? And they said, well, okay, you can audition. And basically what they did is they, they culled a list of people who had a reasonable story about martial arts. And then they did things where they auditioned their kata, which is a series of moves, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I passed the audition. I trained for six weeks every day to really be in shape so that when I got to the set, I could do it. And that turned out to be really important because it was one of these digital productions. I was in this blue screen that had blue gaffers tape in um, like a small compass on the floor. Mm -hmm. And so there were three different lighting setups and I had to do my kata eight times for each lighting setup for them to be able to put me anywhere they needed to put me in the show. That was exhausting. And then... You know, a bunch of my colleagues. So wait a also, you had to do just real quick. You had to do the same routine. Yeah, same way. Like, did, did it have much. to match up? No, it wasn't that they were going to match it from one to another. But the way the light hit me, they had to have a recording of the way the light hit me from right, every okay, angle. Okay, I understand. So that we, if they decided, well, let's put him over here in the arena, that it right. would match that location in the arena. Right. Yeah, with lighting and, and it, it look completely out of place. Or if, or if my character was in the shot, was facing away from the action, they had the shot from behind. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it was. It's called a turnaround, is what it's called. Yeah, and that was awesome. Dream come true. Like I remember being thirteen and seeing Star Wars for the first time, and right. you know, it's really funny because my my really great friend Steve Moore, um, who's deceased now, you know, we were literally tripping around Berkeley one night and we were walking home from having been out skateboarding till three in the morning and we were walking down the street and what do you want to do with your life, man? And he was like, Oh, I, I want to like live in a tropical paradise and marry a Brown woman and, and raise babies with her and maybe run a restaurant. And like, Oh, I'd want to work for Lucasfilm someday. And we had no idea, but they both happened. Like he lived in Cabo San Lucas and ran a restaurant for wow. like, 10, 12 years. And I landed a job and worked for George Lucas for 21 years. That's awesome. It's awesome. Beautiful story. And that's, you know, when that ended, when Disney bought the thing and they were like, okay, we want to move you to LA. And I was like, mm, I worked for him. It was amazing. And I, this is going to be a big letdown. I, okay, I'll take the severance. I'm out. I was like, all right, cool. And then around the same time, my wife wanted to divorce me. So I got oh, divorced fuck. and I lost my job. And I was at this really pivotal moment in my life. Like, what am I going to do that's going to feel anything like what I've been doing for 20 years? How am I going to find excitement? I didn't know. I called a friend and I said, what am I going to do? Like, I just lost my job. 
I really basically kind of quit, but it was like, it was a bad offer. It was a good offer. They were generous, but it was not for me. Let's put it right. that way. And my wife is done. What do I do? And he said, here's what I want you to do. There's this event. It's called the Ignited Man Workshop. Go sign up right now. Trust me, it'll be the thing for you. And it just so happened the first day was on my birthday. So when I went to sign up, it was like, it's on my birthday. All right, this is it. Like, I'm going to be reborn. And it was a men's work workshop. And it was also part of an organization called One Taste, which had this practice that they were bringing to the world called orgasmic meditation. So the first two days were tuning us up as men, helping us get connected to our bodies, helping us learn to feel more, to have trust games, you know, the whole trust fall thing, right? But then on day three, we got to meet turned on women and we got to ask them any question we want, anything about sex, anything. And orgasmic meditation is a 15-minute practice. And what, what happens is a woman sits down and she's naked from the waist down. She butterflies her legs and a man sits next to her and strokes her clit for 15 minutes. And then they get up, done, walk away, no emotional baggage, no emotional connection. It's like a, a way for the woman to have access to that kind of stimulation and what it might do for her body and for her spirit. And for a man to confront what it's like to sit there and just do that without any attachment to what happens. I went on a deep dive to understand more about <laughs> I'm myself sorry. after that. I'm talking about finger blasting bitches. I went on a deep dive. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that was good. I'm glad you got that in there, Maddie. That's a good thing. Anyway, so I wanted to learn more and more about myself. And so I continued to do men's work. And what I found out when I was in these spaces where men were trying to up-level and trying to resolve the traumas that they had, that I had a strong aptitude for it. Like I was already well attuned. And it turns out that when I was nine, my parents were group therapy leaders in the hippie days. And they would do these weekend workshops and they would bring families and you know couples. And what would happen was they would have the kids go to a little daycare room and I would teach the kids the same thing they were teaching in the workshop. And it was based on this book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. So I've literally been coaching since I was nine with a big gap year. Yeah. <laughs> and so once I've realized what it was like to actually get really good at stroking pussy and helping men find themselves in a powerful way. Like one of the things that happened was like, okay, I don't, I don't have a wife anymore. I was never really great at dating, but suddenly I had this superpower with the women I dated because I'd cultivated all of this empathy and all this emotional intelligence and I could stroke their clit really well. And so I started leaning into the possibility of coaching. I just started leaning in too. Real hard. Yeah. And <laughs> so I found, I've, uh, you know, yeah, I found a year-long coaches training program called the Coaching Dojo. And I went to that for a year and I studied. And I found a second job because by this time my severance was running out and I was going to have to do something. And it turned out that this place called the Internet Archive, archive.org, that has this thing called the Wayback Machine where yeah. you can look up any website, yeah. right? Yeah. So they needed an archivist, a physical storage manager. So I was doing that. And at night I was training for um, coaching certification. 
And then the second year I was working there, I started coaching at night and on the weekends just a little bit. And then I did another certification called the Men's Wisdom Work Certification. And that's where I took the title Wisdom Coach from, was that work. Um, I also did a, a, a really intensive program that is about decolonizing your mind and breaking away from racism and, and things in yourself as a white person. And that made it possible for me to really understand um, how to be of service to BIPOC cultures and, and understand that, you know, if I'm going to coach men of color, there's a whole other set of traumas that happen for them. And I can't actually do that unless I, I have at least a basic understanding. And it turned out that was really fascinating work. And I ended up to, I'm still part of that organization. And I still, well, I haven't recently, but for a while I shepherded other people through that class as a, like a second Mm-hmm. Not like the teacher, but as someone who supported the pods. Right. And then in 2018, I went all in, full-time coach. And it's been rough. I'm not making a bunch of money. I'm not at the, you know, the Tony level or any of these big coaches, but I'm I'm I run my own business and it brings me a lot of satisfaction. Like when I see my clients go from, you know, dweebs to powerful, turned-on men who can make the things happen that they want to happen in their lives. It's really exciting and satisfying to me. And that's the closest I've come to being able to experience what it was like to work for George. Wow. That's, I mean, there's got to be a great amount of satisfaction you know, in helping, in helping people um, that uh, you know, I have never experienced. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just got back from a week a weekend long uh, retreat myself where I got my, my, I was put through the ringer and that's why I have this towel. It was called the all in CEO experience. You can't really see it now that the lighting's changed in my, my situation. I should probably turn the lights up a little, but um, they took away my cell phone. They took us up into the mountains and they put us through all kinds of trials, 12 different trials. One of which was called the midnight trail run. And I'm 270 pounds. Jesus. And they put, they put a 25 pound medicine ball at the front of the line. There were 12 of us and they said, and the headlamps on us and they started running us. And, you know, every three minutes, the one guy would have to give the next guy the ball. And I made it, we made it to the top of the fricking mountain, man. And I thought I was going to die, but this towel is a symbol of from, you know, from not throwing in the towel, right? Don't give up. Yeah. And I made it through all the exercises and I graduated. And so that's it. You know, if you want to do what I do, you have to constantly be willing to push yourself to your edges and to, to learn to find where the depths of your own triggers still are. And so just calling back to, do I do a cold plunge? Yeah. Because in order for me to hold men accountable, but also teach them to, to have emotional intelligence and emotional communication skills... I have to be able to handle the emotional upheaval of when a man goes to pieces in front of me or gets really angry or whatever it is. And that takes a lot. It takes a lot to do that. And, you know, one of the ways I balance it is I have my own podcast called Moped Outlaws, where we do a lot about like what your guys are doing. We like poke fun at cancel culture and we, yeah. we look at the hard parts of us with a lighthearted attitude. And when I saw you guys on, um, 
pod match, I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm like so stoked <laughs> to be here because we're like, we're like of kin, you know? Um, yeah. yeah I did check out Moped Out- Outlaws. Uh, I forget who you had on. It was, it, it was pretty, but it, it made me think it harkened me back to another time. Cause uh, my, we had, my parents had a vacation house in the Poconos uh, in Pocono mountains. And it was this like enclosed community. And uh, there were no like cops in this community, but there was mm. like a security force and the speed limit throughout the entire, this is back in the late eighties, the speed limit throughout the entire uh, development was 25. So all of the security guards, automobiles, I shit you not were governed at 25. These cops could not go over 25. I had this beat up like 1969 Bosch fucking moped. Not even the moped with a straight tank. It went down like a bike, right? (laughs) Now, I weighed about 350 pounds as a 16-year-old kid. Riding this fucking moped with like half a horsepower, right? I could go maybe 40 miles an hour. And we'd go in and we'd cause, we had a bunch of friends. We all, you know, we all had like, I had one friend that rode, like he was like six feet tall, but he rode a 50. You ever seen those little 50s? Uh, yeah. yeah. He rode a 50 and I rode the moped. And then my buddy had a straight tank moped and we'd ride all over the fucking place. But we knew the, the, the deer paths, right? Where, where the, we knew all the deer paths. So we'd go fucking with the cops, do shit with the security. They'd go chasing us. We'd outrun them. We'd hit the fucking deer path, come out, go around, come out behind them, give them the finger, <laughs> run around, and, and and go back. And we had there was no they had we had stickers. You had like a, every every automobile, toy, boats, mopeds, ATVs, whatever had to have a sticker for the association. And had but the sticker had no number, so they there there was nobody to link us back to. Got it. You know what yeah. I mean? Until one year they started putting numbers on them and registered who, you know, that's because of me. <laughs> yeah, of course it's because of you. I, you I, see what you've done to help society, Maddie. <laughs> I've done I've I find loopholes and I just exploit them. That's that's what yeah, I did. You you were an early hacker. I re, well, I was I was an early troll more than more than anything <laughs> else. I was troll. A very early troll because that was one of my favorite things. Because he had it was like an old Subaru, not not the Outback, but remember the old Subaru wagon? Mm -hmm. They were all Uh, blue. Every fucking one of them you've ever seen was blue. Uh (laughs) That's what it was. And his guy fucking dude's name was Kakarika, and we used to call him Deputy Dog. And he smoked all the fucking time, and he's probably dead by now. So. Oh. But anyway, that's what your uh, that's what your podcast reminds. So tell us a little bit more. Uh, you can we can find your podcast on uh, you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. All yeah, of, it's on all of them. All and of them. you can buy NFTs. We have NFTs for sale too. Oh no oh. shit! How do you do that? Uh, well, Greg Wilker, who is the other partner, he's he's he makes all of the um, art for each podcast release, and then we just turn them into NFTs. It's oh. a pretty simple process. But nobody's bought any yet. <laughs> but they don't cost us that much to make. No, it's almost so, free. Yeah, right? it's, it's <laughs> almost free. And we're hoping. We also have a little merch store. You can buy our T-shirts and stuff like that. But um, 
you know, we mostly uh, we do it because we love to talk and we love to crack each other up and we love to talk about shit that needs to get talked about in ways that kind of poke fun at everybody's picadillos and everybody's sensitivities because we take ourselves way too damn seriously for our for our health. Yeah. And at the same time, both of us have been through the anti-racism training. So we it really matters to us that we change how we relate to each other as people and that we aren't misogynist anymore and we aren't racist assholes and that we we are we stand for having a social sphere that feels good for everybody. Like I'm down to support LGBTQA people. I'm down to support trans people. But I'm also a huge Dave Chappelle fan, right? Which is, and, and there's a lot of, you know, crossover there that would seem to negate itself, really. But we, th- that's where all the juice is in life. If yeah. you want to be funny, you got to play at those edges. And, you know, Laughs at hurt. some point. Laughs hurt. Right. They have to yeah. on some level. Uh, and and honestly, I just at, at the end of it all, I don't think that Dave Chappelle is a bad guy that has bad feelings. I I think that maybe no, he doesn't. He's he's he knows where the funny is. I mean, that's probably his biggest crime. And to be funny, sometimes it 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 hurts. And well, and he makes people think. Yes, and that in hurts a, in a really powerful way. And that, that hurts that, too. That's yeah. what what really hurts is when people think. So you know, I get it. And it sounds like your podcast is born of of a lot of what ours is. Um, Matt yeah. and I are really just trying to yeah, learn. We're about, muy simpatico. We're we're trying to learn about ourselves and and why we've grown into these awful people. Yeah, well, <laughs> oh, pretty well, much. I tell that. you, if, if you know, uh, Grease Monkey Pete, I haven't heard much from you, but I assume you like women, right? Love them. Do you have a girlfriend? Not currently. If you learn orgasmic meditation, it'll change your life. Orgasmic meditation. Yeah. That fifteen-minute uh, practice I was talking about. Oh yeah. On a, on a on a podcast that we used to do, where we met Pete. Uh, one day, Pete came in and was incredibly pissed off. Or no, yeah, he comes in. He's like, "Man, fucking bitches are crazy." Is what did you say? I don't know. I'm, I'm not you don't remember sure this? Which, and he I'm not was sure so which we, occurrence you're talking about. There were so. So many. it was this one time, and so it was one time, and you were you were so upset, and you started complaining about you were going to have sex with this woman, but she wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> and you had to listen to her yes. talk. You remember this, Mike? <laughs> yes. And I'm like, well, did you finally do it? And he's like, yeah, but she talked for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> See, if, if he had been um, a client, I could have helped him learn to teach her to off-gas that stuff. <laughs> so that she she her talking would be met a certain way and her vigilance center the the thing that was having her continue to talk which is basically anxiety would would lower and then she'd reach a point where let's stop talking i want to i want that d man right but how do you how do you do that how do you get how do you get her to shut up and want to fuck um did i ask that up. wrong <laughs> is that come out wrong <laughs> Well, first you might want to. How do you how do you how do you get her to off gas and and meet her in in where she wants to be? Like, how, what's the like? What are some of the? Well, first of all, you have to have mastery over your physicality, and you have to be able to put exquisite attention on her 
and then ask interested questions instead of interesting questions. And an interesting question ends up pointing the attention back to you, right? And an interested question, at first, you think like, I'm asking an interested question. She's going to talk some more. It's not what we want, right? But what you find is that when a woman actually feels your presence and she can feel your attention and she can feel the way you're communicating with her, has empathy and connection at it, that lowers her level of anxiety and her level of, of disruption, in her nervous system, and then she can start to feel her body again and feel her turn on. And so that's how it works, right? And if that doesn't work, you can just stick your cock in her mouth. That'll shut her up. Every go. time. So there you or go, Pete. Rupee, what? Rupees. Yeah. Well, that's a crime. Um, so so is putting your cock in her mouth in several but, states. But the easiest... But see, what he's telling you, Pete, is that if you just pretend to listen and give a shit. No, no, no. You cannot <laughs> pretend. Because she there will suss no, that out. No, yeah. yeah. There is no try. Only do. Exactly. Right? And, and when you finally get it, when you actually find this spot in yourself, you're, it's not a labor anymore. It's not a chore. It's intimacy. Mm. And it's what we all crave. As men, it, like the story is women want emotional connection and men want sex, right? That's the story. But the research, if you dig in deeper, is actually women can get emotional connection anywhere they want. There's all kinds of guys in the friend zone. There's their girlfriends. What women can't find is a guy who knows how to operate her genitals properly. That's men, right. we I get turned on easy. Doing that. Good, good. I, I would expect nothing less from a grease monkey, right? Oh, you know, my line, you my get line it. was always, I'm good with my hands. I was a, previously a mechanic. See, I, <laughs> I knew that ohm would be your thing. Anyway, men, we think, want sex, right? And to a large degree, we're driven that way. But at the end of the day, it's the connection after the sex that really lands for us. We want to be seen. We want to be loved. We want to feel safe, right? I want to go to and, sleep. And we want to go to sleep and be and and I wake up and she's still there. All right? of those things are interrelated, though. Yeah, and so when we start to break down these societal standards that we think are what they are, and we start to learn that what I really want is to feel connected, and women want to feel connected, I want to feel connected. How do we get there? And intimacy is the the word that we use for it. But you say that to most people, and they already they think about sex, right? But Intimacy is this complex, beautiful uh, arena of communication where they get to meet you and you meet them and everyone feels seen and feels satisfied and heard and, and safe, right? Because our seven-year-old boy inside us is he's going to trigger if something looks like he's unsafe. Mm -hmm. She's got the same issue, right? The difference is for us is if you trigger us and then start playing with our cock, we're going to be aroused. If you do that with a woman, no way. The equipment doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. So it's it's complicated. I don't have a system. Like one of the things that's true about my coaching is that I don't be, go like, here's the workshop book and you go through the first eight pages and we do. Like I don't work that way. I meet men where they are. I learn about them. I learn about what, what has them showing up the way they're showing up now and what the origins of that are. And then I help them practice developing the parts of themselves that they want to bring forward. And 
the fire of desire drives the engine of success. And so you can attune that to the emotional arena with relationships, but you can attune that with productivity and with businesses too. You just have to know where the finer points of adjustment are there. The, the desire of the fire drives fire the, of desire. The fire of desire drives the engine of success. Yeah. Okay. That's way better than let the bridges I burn light my path to success. That's what I've been working <laughs> with so far. I'm going to go with yours. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I've made a small impact. I, I like your, your, your theory, though, that meet people where they are. Because, you know, workbooks are great. And you get, but if I come to you and you can, you, we talk for a while and you say, you know what, I know all these things. But, you know, you seem to know this part and this part and this part. But these are the things that you need help with to, you know, work on what you, you can work on. Not what you already, you know, if, if you've got three things that are already, hey, you're, you're in tune there. You're good. You just, you, you need to develop this and this. I, I agree with that concept. That's, that's a, it's a much smarter way yeah, to work. I don't, I don't start with the principle that people are broken or they're wrong. I start with the principle yeah. that you're inherently a good man. And it's just about reconnecting you to the recognition of self at the root level. Because yep. when that little boy remembers how to play full out, he can do anything. Yeah. It, it it's interesting that you you mentioned the the the, the seven year old boy. I I was, had a conversation with somebody uh, earlier this week who was dealing with a stressful situation with people who uh, had been hurt years ago, and I and the question was why do people act this way? I said because we grow up, but our feelings don't. Yeah. So if you're holding on to feelings that you felt 15 years ago, they're still 15 years younger than you are now. And, and you're always going to feel them that way because you can't separate yourself from that, having felt it already. You're not going to feel it a new way. You're always going to feel it the way that you felt it the first time. So you need to, it needs to be addressed in that way. And come forward but you know that's i'm no expert but i mean that's that's kind of well, you're on it you're on yeah. the right track there professor and if if you get in the arena with me you're going to be challenged but you're also going to be nurtured right and what i do is i teach men not to fear their emotions and then to use them in an effective way that helps them heal their bodies and helps them create the intimacy and the relationships they want and the, the way that works is you actually have to learn how to feel. You have to be yeah. willing to experience the discomfort. And that's what Ice Bath Training is about. Well, it's just like lifting weights or running, yeah. right? It's, you know. Um, you got to feel the burn. Or like, and Grease Monkey Mike, have you ever been wrenching on something, trying to get it open? And then when it lets go, you rack your knuckles on the next part? Every one of them. <laughs> right every single no, one i know that i know that right? feeling no pain yeah. no gain man yep yeah <clears throat> so i'm sorry, and there's no way. shame there's no shame mm -hmm. we're all we're all um dealing with these remnants right so right away i start to dismantle shame with people because shame's just a hiding place and when you turn courageously to the adventure of your life 
armed with new possibilities, you're going to just dive in, man. You're going for it. And I love seeing men do that. I love seeing men renew their commitment to their own life. And we need it. The world is fucked up. We need men to show up powerfully. Yeah. No, we need men to show up. Because, I mean, the world's not in a great situation right now. And it's, 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 it's very difficult because it, like, on a political stage, you know, you, you see the, the threats that, that are to our nation, like the two, the two meetings of, between China and Russia. Two of the most completely out of touch from their feelings, dude, dudes, like that they, they don't, like there, there, there is only, it, there is only conquer. There is only that, that male, what has been, classified as toxic masculinity and then how do we go up against it like how do we you know or what are we going to do you know what i mean well, i don't know i don't know xi jinping well enough to say that he's got toxic masculinity operating let me tell you something i hung out with that motherfucker so many times first of all he can't hold his liquor all right <laughs> the guy just he pukes all over himself i always but, knew you were a commie yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so and i also want to dismiss call me that again I want to dismantle this idea of toxic masculinity. There's no such thing. It doesn't It's not real. It doesn't exist. There's masculinity and then there's toxicity. And they're not linked. Toxic behavior is toxic behavior. And it, toxic masculinity is not real. It's a it's some kind of meme speak. And it's not so how do you when we have to like break these things down, we have to dismantle these things. Now, if you want to go geopolitical, I have like a whole thing going. I've got this thing called Democracy 2.0 that I'm super excited and hot about. Um, Tell us about because, it. Because, well, the the initiative behind it is to fulfill the promise contained in the U.S. Constitution on a global scale. The idea of self determination, self rule through a democratic representative process, where everybody. It has the liberty to worship who they want to worship or not worship, to live the way they want to live within the the bounds of a kind of egalitarianism where we all accept that our neighbors want to live the way they want to live. And so we want safe schools, safe streets, and tolerance for each other's differences. So the, the idea here, which in the form it's in now, it still needs work. It's not ready to roll out. It's not a done deal. But the basic idea is there's 100 senators. Right. Yep. And there's 420 some odd House representatives. Right. Right. So the basic premise is we use technology to increase the ratio of representation representation by a factor of 10 so that we're going to have 10,000 senators and 400 and some odd thousand representatives. And what that does, is it makes it impossible to coerce, bribe, blackmail everybody on the issue all at once. And you can walk down the street and talk to both of those people in your own neighborhood, right? And so we leverage technology to preserve the idea of debate and the idea of bringing bills to the floor. And we we work that problem out. And I've been talking to people and a lot of what I get is, it'll never work. And I say, well, you know what? We're going to fucking die if we don't figure this out. And people need something to hope for. And I think this is the best possibility. And until someone else steps forward with something better, I'm all in on this. Because the idea, if I can do my banking with this device, if I can, there's a way 
yeah. that we can make this work. And then the promise floats out to the rest of the world because now representative democracy has been debugged. And you can have it in Africa. You can have it, you know, and we're all doing shit in real time. We're all making these decisions in real time anyway. Like, isn't social media like the ultimate place we debate social issues and, you know, all that stuff? So there's no reason that we can't, you know, tweak it until we get to a system that works. Now, there's certain things that are going to have to stay the same. Like, we need a president. Right? Well, no, we, we, we should get 10 presidents. Oh man, that's one cluster F. I I'm just saying you've ten, you've you've tenfolded everything else. We need ten fucking. No, presidents. no, no, we don't. And we need, to, and they have, they only, and they have ten year terms. Because on all the way it works. Terms. Oh no, we can't have ten presidents. I was trying. I'm trying I don't to think. Okay. And I like, I love it. I mean, I need people like you, Maddie, to come in with their their great ideas because that's what's going to save us. We all have to go all in and. The point I wanted to make is that people need something that they can hope for because right now the story is we're all going to die. The whole thing's going to fall apart. This doesn't work. How are we going to resolve all this shit? Well, you know what? There's this beautiful thing that to me, the Constitution, look what it did, right? And yeah, it was fucked up. Those guys were slave owners. There's all kinds of problems with that stuff that it was like, well, we're the smart landowners. It's a document written by imperfect men. Right. But here's the thing. Every man on the face of the fucking earth is imperfect. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, you could dig into my past and, and, and find whatever you wanted. I'm sure what, anything you wanted to, to slander my name, you, you would find it. And I'm sure if you were to look at, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, go back and I'm sure he fucked. I'm sure he fucked someone's secretary. I'm sure it fucking happened. Just think of anybody. Joe Biden. There you go. He, he, he might have put a sentence together today. Who knows? You know what I mean? Right. But it's um, nobody is, is perfect. So we have this document that lays out these, these rights. And, and, and it's said because these persons didn't had these persons were, were practicing cognitive dissonance, which is they were saying one thing and behaving a different way. Now, that's something that's very, very fucking common. Most people are going to operate in that way at some point in their life. That's why there's a fucking word for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm a firm believer that the Constitution is is the perfect is a perfect document. It, it so I got to thinking, well, how do we up level this piece of paper? We're to the computer age, and I'm like, oh, well, these guys could never have considered that. You know, we could have a giant Zoom clusterfuck and, and have that be Congress, right? So it's a very imperfectly and underdesigned idea right now. But I talk about it everywhere I can because I know people who are smarter than me are going to figure this out. And the key thing, and I keep coming back to this, is we need something to hope for and we need to start putting our energies behind it so that we can stop this whole thing around the fall of the American emperor, the, the uh, idea of it's Armageddon time, or because that's all, that thinking is what's driving the result. Mm -hmm. What you think about, you bring about. What you feel becomes real. So if you want to shift, you need to have something to look forward to, some kind of idea. And that, I mean, I came up as a child of the 60s, and what did they do? They created this crazy idea of 
of how life could be. And it was very effective for a while. We got some great stuff out of that, particularly getting to see Leonard Skinner live at the Oakland Coliseum when it was everybody in the band. Like, I will never forget that as long Mm -hmm. as I live. But beyond that, having something, Democracy 2.0, that we could work together on, people who are smarter than me could debug it, right, and help create it. Like, where are my, you know, fellow, you know, fathers now, you know, to help me with this? If you're out there, go to my website. My phone number is on my website. Call me. I'll help. We'll get this shit done. Because why? Because if we don't, we're all going to (laughs) die. No, but it's very, I mean, the, the state of things right now are, I feel like, unmanageable. Unmanageable. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of stuff coming out about what the government's done and all this other, and we have to try to separate, you know, the people in the government from the way it was designed to work. And the people in the government are the fallible part of the equation. And we have to learn, you know, one, they have to be held accountable. You know, if you say something incredibly stupid, you should be, you should be, you know, have your, have your feet held to the fire. And the, you know, when we talk about having like, you know, 10 times more people in, like, you know, people in Congress, like I think about Congress now and I'm just like, it's a clusterfuck. And you just imagine adding more fucking, and I understand that, I understand that it, 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 it but makes the pool bigger and harder to poison. And you that's, know. that's the, that's the big deal because it's relatively easy and fairly inexpensive in comparison to buy 436 people as opposed or to blackmail or, or yeah. right. Or blackmail yeah. or whatever it takes to, to sway them one way or the other than it is to do the same thing to 436,000 people. Yeah. And we got to do things like get rid of Citizens United, which makes it, you know, unlimited campaign money. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff that has to get fixed in the process. And we got to stop relating to the way we solve social problems in our country by thinking of it as a football game between this team and that team. We're all on the same team. It's called America. And if you want to have guns, I'm cool with it. But I really want you not to let some asshole get a hold of it and go shoot up a bunch of kids, right? My family's from Montana. You should be able to go out and kill an oak and fill, fill your freezer and mm-hmm. feed your family. I agree with that. We should have enough firepower available so that if some crazy fascists try to fuck with us, that we can stop that too. But you know what? It's not working right. And we can't be blaming each other's team and pointing fingers at each other. Mm-hmm. And hating on each other, or we're all going to go down. And, uh, you know, I'll be, I'm going to out myself. Like, I've been a liberal Democrat. I'm older now, so I get more fiscally conservative. I fought hard against the former president. I don't like him on a ton of levels, but he did some good things in office, and I'm not afraid to say that. And that's, that's, that's my issue with politics right now is, in Washington, you've got the left and you've got the right. You, you know, nobody's living in the gray area. You know, we're all living in the gray area, and 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 nobody's nobody's fighting for us. They're all they're all fighting for the for the far right or the far left. Everybody down here in the in the middle is is living in this gray area where 
we've got to get by every day and nothing's helping us. Yeah. And we can all pick off a piece of the pie. Like as a men's wisdom coach, I'm working hard at helping men. One of the most interesting things that got presented at this weekend workshop I went to is there's a guy who is working with veterans to help them heal the trauma from war. And they're using psychedelics and they're using MDMA and they're using different ways to help these men come back from the brink of the horrible wounds of what we asked to do that uh, for them as a culture. And so I look at what I'm doing as um, a lesser but relative and important part of that, which is opening the door for men to have what they want, to feel fulfilled, and to feel unchained in creating what it is they want. Because innovation is what makes our economic system great. We've invented some incredible things, and we're going to continue to invent incredible things. And you could be the next guy that comes up with Democracy 2.0. I ain't special. Oh, well, yeah, I am a Jedi. That's but true. Fuck it. You're, you're the only Jedi on the panel right now. So That's right. We have to kind of, like, you're the leader at this point, I guess. Um, <laughs> Don't make me show you my lightsaber. If you have a real lightsaber, I want to see it. But if you're just talking about your penis, please keep. Oh, see, he's got it right there. Yes. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> now is that like a movie prop, or is that no? Something? This is this is a reproduction of Luke's original saber. Oh shit! Very nice. Very cool. Yeah, there it is. Beautiful. It is quite beautiful. Yeah. Well, guys, um, I don't know how long we got. Like, I'll keep going if you want to keep going, but I also want to be respectful of your audience's time and of your no, time. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, we uh, we usually uh, cut B block and then go into a C block. We'd love to. If you want to join us, you're more than welcome to. Uh, we have some videos. Uh, do we have a just the tips, Mike? We do have a just the tips. Um, we have a co- we uh, we have a, a member who can't make it on Wednesday, so he makes us little video clips of his advice called just the tips. Um, I would be great. Interested. I'd love to hang I out. Actually, I would actually be interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, yeah, let's hit the C block then. Yeah. All right. Uh, so coming up after this, we're going to get into the C block. We have adjusted tips. We're going to be uh, doing real talk with the boys. We don't have a TikTok nonsense corner, or do we? I I didn't put together a full nonsense corner. No, we there's right, a few TikToks. We are going to do bring. real talk with the boys. Yeah. And. Uh, some other shit we got going on. So, uh, you know, again, give us a call, 646-01. You can always check us out on themediavirus.com. And you can always go to the YouTube. If you're probably watching it now, I don't know why I mention it, but it's the YouTube channel, the Media Virus Network. Uh, did I miss anything, Mike? Uh, no. No, you're, you're actually getting really good at this. And uh, I've been doing it 125 times. Well, you know, practice makes perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back right after this on the Media Virus Podcast. I still have the uh, the YouTube up on my computer. I completely understand if people don't want to come on my fucking show.